want to ask all of us this morning to do some introspection, to examine our own selves as we kind of work through our thoughts this morning. In preparing this lesson this week, I realized just how much I've been affected by the very subject that we're going to be talking about today. And how that uh, oftentimes we live our lives without realizing, wow, am I really doing that? Am I, am I engaged in that type of thought processes? And, and so let me just say that as we get started this morning. We're in a series called Discovering the Mission of God. And we're in our last section, which has to do with discipleship. And our theme verse through this entire last section has been 2 Corinthians 3.18. And I want to ask you, if you would, read this verse with me this morning. So join with me in reading it. And we all are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thank you. I mean, basically, this verse is saying what John Micah had us to say this morning. We are children of God, being transformed into the image of our Father through the power of Jesus, who's working through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you turn over to Ephesians 2, though, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we're up against so, some enemies, though. So, some powers and forces that are trying to prevent us from being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And if you'll just notice the highlighted areas up here. We're in a battle against the world. We're going to be talking about that here in, in about three weeks, looking at how the war, the world tries to war against our souls. We're in a battle against the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We call him the Satan or the devil, the accuser. And then finally, we're in a battle against the flesh. The last one you see there in Paul's list. And it's that flesh that we're talking about today. We introduced it last week. It was Augustine, the great church theologian of the 4th uh, and 5th century, that argued that all mankind are slaves to sin. Of course, Jesus taught that in John's Gospel. But that we were first slaves to sinful lust, which James, the half-brother of Jesus, taught us in James chapter 1. But then he said this, These sinful lusts come from inordinate and disordered desires. Inordinate means out of proportion. Disordered means they're desires that are legit, but they've gotten out of order. Some desires now we place higher than we should. Here's the way that John Mark Comer said it. Let me go back to it. He says, the problem of the human condition isn't that we don't love. He uses the word love instead of the word desire. It's that we love either the wrong things or the right things in the wrong order. And if we would pause just for a moment and ask ourselves, what do we love most in this world? I mean, if you had to make a list right now, what would be number one on that list? What's, what do you love more than anything else? Now, I know what I'm supposed to love. Supposed to love God with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I get that. But if you were to say to me, Les, are you there yet? Y'all remember the old song we used to sing? None of self and all of thee. It's a song that has four verses and it begins with, you know, I began with all of self and none of thee. And then some of self and some of thee. And then 
uh, less of self and more of thee. And then finally that last verse, all, you know, none of self and all of thee. I mean, I don't know that I can sing that last one. I hope I can sing that third verse, but that last one's a little tough. And, and that basically is what John Mark Comer is saying is we get what we love out of order. He goes on in this book, and I've mentioned this, that a lot of my thoughts are coming from this book, Live No Lies. Wonderful little book. You can order it on Amazon. Uh, but Comer really has a way of saying, boy, look at how Satan is coming after us. And, and in his book, he says, Deceived ideas that play to the disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society, that's the battle we're up against. And, of course, the deceitful ideas come from the devil, the disordered ideas come from the flesh, and then when it's normalized in our society, we simply call that the world. I want us to look at a text this morning where the Apostle Paul basically takes this and lays it out in an incredibly powerful way. Galatians chapter 5. It begins this way, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now you need to understand what's going on to appreciate what Paul is saying here. Paul had just finished the first missionary journey. He and Barnabas had gone out into the island of Crete, gone up north, excuse me, island of Cyprus, and then gone up north into, into what we call today southern Turkey. They knew it as Galatia. And, and they had established churches at little villages like Iconium, Derby, Lystra, Antioch of Pisidia. I mean, you've got all these little towns and villages where they had established churches. And then as they are heading back to Antioch, word gets back to Jerusalem to Pharisee Christians. And these Pharisee Christians are, are like, wait a minute, they're baptizing Gentiles but before they circumcise them? And, and these Pharisee Christians, they're, they're believers in Jesus, but they're still Pharisees. And they said, you can't be a Christian unless you first become a Jew. And so they go up behind Paul and Barnabas to these little churches, telling all the Gentile men, you've got to get circumcised first. Watch what Paul says. As he says, if you think the Torah, the law of Moses, is the way to be saved, you're going to be greatly mistaken. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. In other words, you've turned from Jesus back to the law. And then look at what Paul says. Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised, if you're going to go back to the law, then you've got to keep the whole law. That's one thing about law. You know, if you're going to be a person who says, I'm just going to follow the rules. Well, guess how many rules you have to break to become a rule breaker? One. Right? I mean, you can obey every law in the land, but you murder your next door neighbor. Guess what? You still go to prison. But judge, I kept all the other rules to make any difference. You violated that one. And basically, that's what Paul is saying here. And, and of course, if you go back to Acts 15, you see Peter as he's telling these Pharisee brothers, listen, we cannot bind on the Gentiles the law. Look at what he says here. Why do you want to try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? 
mean, just trying to keep the Sabbath law would wear you out. Ryan was talking about getting up early on Sunday morning. You got up early on Sunday morning because you kept the Sabbath. That's the question Brian was asking. What were they doing on the Sabbath day as Jesus is in the grave? You know, what's racing through their minds? I know some of y'all are going, did he say that? Yeah, that was when he was having to speak without a microphone. We were fortunate up, up front to hear him, you know. I know how hard it is sometimes if you're in the back. And so Peter says, you can't do that. And, and I don't know if you know what a yoke is, but a yoke is when you're bound to something else. This wooden harness here is a yoke. And, and so here's Paul saying, you're yoking yourself back to the Torah, back to the law of Moses. You really want to do that? Because once you've been yoked to something, it's going to force you to go wherever it goes. I mean, you're bound to it. And Paul says, don't do it. Don't go back to the old covenant of Moses. And so he then says to them, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You've been set free from that law. So don't be yoked back to it. But here's the problem. Oftentimes when we're free, we don't live as free people. Now, y'all, let's face it. We, freedom is the American dream, right? I mean, we were free to come to church this morning. Aren't you glad that no one, you know, said, you better be at church, you're not at church, you know, we're going to come and take care of you. Election's coming up in about a month. Aren't you glad that when you go to vote, you don't go inside and there's a guy with a machine gun going, how you voting today? <laughs> click, click. I mean, you know, that happens around the world, not here in America. We've got people who are on vacation this week. Isn't it great that if you want to go on vacation, you can go anywhere in the United States you want to, and no one's going to stop you at the state line going, why are you coming in our state? You know, I mean, if you want to go to Florida, you head to Florida, except the western part, you know, and, and unfortunate for what's going on there, no. But, I mean, if you want to go to Florida, you want to go to the mountains, you want to go, you know, to the desert, I mean, you're free. We live in a free country. I mean, when you think about our flag, doesn't it stand for freedom? I mean, you go outside, you see it on the flagpole, and you're like, man, that's the country we live in with the freedoms that we have. I think of the, uh, or the Declaration of Independence. You know, here, here's uh, Thomas Jefferson. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge, in other words, going all the way to the rights we have from our God, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are of right, ought to be free. No more taxes to, to London. No more orders from the king. We are declaring our freedom. And I don't know about you, but wow. I mean, today, be football games all over the United States. And do you know every football game will begin with the singing of the national anthem? Everyone up. And, and I don't know about you, but I still, when I'm standing and singing the national anthem, uh, I mean, you get to that last line, oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free? And everybody starts clapping. In the home of the brave. I don't know if you've ever been over to Missions Barbecue over at uh, Opry Mills, but 
Missions Barbecue is, is very conscious of those who have served in the military and the police force and everything. And if you're over there at lunchtime, at lunchtime they all stand and, and sing the national anthem. And Blake and I have discovered that if you'll go right before noon, stand and participate in the song, in the singing of the national anthem, they'll give you a free dessert. <laughs> I'm serious. We were there a couple of weeks ago, and, and I, I, I got a little late. I didn't get there in time for the singing. Blake was in there, and I said, hey, man, did you get, in time? Did you get any free? He said, man, I just missed it, you know. I mean, we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your whole masses, yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these. The homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Or at least that used to be what we said to the world. So many people wanted to come that we're like, whoa, now we've got to start closing the door, right? You see the problems freedom brings? I mean, freedom's always a challenge. Always a challenge. And, and one of the things you have to realize is that when you talk about freedom, you need to know a little bit about what you're talking about. What does it mean to be free? And, and, of course, if you go back to the book of Genesis, what's amazing is free is one of the first words that God ever speaks to us. I mean, you turn over to Genesis 2, 16, and God's created Adam. He places him in the garden. Look at what God says. You are free. Look at that. God created us with free will, and he says, you're free. He goes on to eat from any tree in the garden. Now, What's interesting about this, and, and, and I think a lot of times we just don't think about freedom enough philosophically to recognize it, but there's actually two types of freedom in the world. And, and if you just go into Wikipedia, you'll see this. If you go and just type into Google, you'll see it. It pops up everywhere because it's debated among politicians. It's debated among philosophers. It's debated among religious people, theologians. I mean, the big question is, what does it mean to be free? And basically, most people agree that there are two types of freedom. The first one is called positive freedom. And positive freedom simply says you're free to do anything that's going to bless your life and make you a better person. Okay? Positive freedom. Going back to the text, God said you're free to eat from any tree. But then notice what he says. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so you have a choice. You can eat from every other tree except that one. But if you eat of that one, you're not going to like the results. And so there's freedom to do that which will bless your life. John Michael will cause you to flourish. John and I had a big running joke for years. John would use the word flourish, and I'd say, John, that just wasn't a word I grew up with in Mississippi. You know. And, and I've learned to appreciate the word flourish. The second type of freedom, positive freedom, but the second one is negative freedom. Negative freedom is when you go, I don't want any restraints. I don't want God saying, but you must not. By the way, notice what God said, you must not. Not that you cannot. We know that they could. 
And so God was saying, here's positive freedom, here's negative freedom. You better choose this one as opposed to that one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And, and of course Eve says, no, no, we can eat from all the trees except the one in the middle. And we can't eat, we can't touch. And I want you to look at what the serpent said. You'll not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. He basically says you need to choose negative freedom, which means no constraints, no rules, no one telling you what you can't do. You know, again, I've used this illustration many a times. Kid in my youth group many, many years ago, now, wow, 40 years ago, I mean, he and his parents were just going at it all the time, and he finally walks up to me when he's 18 years old, and he said, I am sick and tired of everybody telling me what to do. They're not going to do that anymore. I'm going to join the military. True story. True story. And I was sitting there going, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because the next time he came back from basic training, I mean, I, he was a different young man. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I mean, wow. What happened? Well, we all know what happened. But here's what we see out in the world. And, and, and what it is, is this adopting of this negative freedom. Look at what Paul says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But then look what he says. But do not use your freedom for the flesh. Now, he didn't say you can't, you, you know, you, you cannot. He says, but don't do it. Don't go down this pathway because you're not going to like where you go. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of John Stuart Mill. Uh, John Stuart Mill is actually one of the biggest influences of American culture today. Uh, he lived back in the 1800s. He was British. He was a British philosopher. He was an agnostic, didn't believe in God, or wasn't sure you could know if there was a God. Uh, he was very opposed to the Church of England. He didn't like the way the church was trying to impose their rules on, the, on a British society. Very highly educated man. His dad wanted him to be so highly educated that he started training him from when he was like three, four, five years old. Stan, he knew Greek when he was five years old. I'm like, Wow. But he ended up writing a book right as the America was beginning to the Civil War, 1861, called Utilitarianism. It's a book, recently we lost a great preacher in our fellowship, Harold Hazlip. Uh, and, and Brian knew Brother Hazlip like I did. We had classes under him. But one of the books you had to read for an ethics course under Brother Hazlip was this book, Utilitarianism. And I remember all those years ago reading it going, wow. Now, here's what Mill was trying to do. Being a non-Christian, non-believer, agnostic, Mill's trying to figure out how does a society operate ethically if there's no God, no Bible, no religion to tell you what to do? How do you know what's right and what's wrong? I mean, that was what he was trying to figure out. And so he went the direction of utilitarianism. Now, 
Here's what he says, and I want you to notice. The creed which accepts as the foundation of morals utility, morality, or the greatest happiness principle. All right, I want you to notice that phrase there. Holds that actions are right and in proportion as they tend to promote happiness. Notice as he keeps going, wrong as they tend to promote or produce the reverse of happiness. By happiness is intended pleasure. Notice what he means by happiness. And the absence of pain, by unhappiness, pain, and the privation of pleasure. In other words, what Mill argued was, you ought to be able to be happy and enjoy life with no impediments to it whatsoever. Now, by pleasure, meal actually meant education, uh, healthy relationships. He, he really wasn't someone who believed in, in kind of, you know, immorality. That's not what he meant by pleasure. But he knew, here was the problem, he knew once you went down this particular pathway that many people would go that way. And he struggled to know how to counteract that. And unfortunately, he didn't. Here's what we got from Mill. It's called the harm principle. You ever heard this one? This is where it came from. It's this writer some 150 years ago. I should be able to do anything I want as long as it doesn't harm anyone. And that's the ethic of a majority of Americans today. Philosophers will tell you that Americans have bought in to utilitarianism. And I basically said, no one's going to tell us what to do. And all you have to do is just kind of look at our culture. And by the way, in Mississippi, we called it the your freedom ends where my nose begins principle. Okay? In other words, you're free to do anything you want to until you punch me in the nose. And then, you know, your freedom ends right there. Woody Allen, 1980. Woody Allen begins dating a lady by the name of Mia Farrah. Uh, actress. He's an actor and a producer. She was starring many, many of his films. And they began a relationship that would last about 12 years. During that relationship, they would never marry, but they would have a child together. They would adopt two children together. Okay? 1992, Woody Allen, unknown to Mia Farah had started a relationship with a woman named Soon Yi. Soon Yi was Mia Farrer's adopted daughter. She had adopted several children, four in all up to that point in time, and then ended up adopting two more. But she had adopted Su Lee from, from Korea, South Korea, and she had raised her, I mean, got her when she was about 10 years old, and the entire time Mia Farah is with Woody Allen, she's raising Soon Yi. And in 1992, she walks into the house, finds some inappropriate pictures that Woody Allen had made of her daughter, and in de facto ways, his stepdaughter, and then discover that they had entered into a relationship with each other. He's 56. She's 21. Caused a huge mess all over the media. 
Someone was interviewing Woody Allen and said, how can you justify this? And here's his justification. The heart wants what it wants. No harm done, right? If you ask Mia Farah, she would say, no, that's not right at all. But you see it literally scattered in our culture. I mean, Let It Go, one of the most popular songs from Frozen. I love the song. But, but inside the movie, is, is if you know anything about it, you have a line in the song, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, simply let it go. And, and of course, that, that's not the theme of the movie at all. She is just trying to run from who she is, and she's going to come back and eventually at the end of the movie embrace who she is. But boy, it just kind of gives you a quick glimpse into the attitude of so many Americans today. By the way, here's the 1992 Supreme Court decision reinforcing Roe versus Wade. And we know that was turned over just recently. But this was a, a particular ruling written by O'Connor, Kennedy, and Souter. And I want you to look at what they said. This is the Supreme Court. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe and of the mystery of human life. In other words, liberty means you have the right to define it for you, I have the right to define it for me, and no one else has the right to tell us otherwise. You see where we've gotten as a country? I mean, it's basically my morality is my morality, and don't you try to force your morality upon me. And of course, what has happened as a result of this is that you've got on this side many who are raised in Christian families and and with a belief in the Bible and the belief in God and the belief that there is an ethic given by God himself. And then you have this group over here that's growing larger and larger and larger and says, no, in fact, the rule of life should be as long as I don't harm anyone, I'm I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And so this is what happens. By the way, this was the left after the George Floyd death. And, and they were just so upset with abuse that they saw there in that particular case. They said the way to fix this is just get rid of all police. And by the way, if you're saying, yeah, how in the world would anybody want to do that? Recently, we've had a defund FBI that comes from the right. Because now the right is, is, is looking at the FBI going, wait a minute, they're coming after us, and so we need to defund the FBI. We need to get rid of them. I mean, it's both sides. And the philosophy is very simple. I don't want any constraints. I mean, laws are good as long as you don't apply them to me. And so let's just get rid of all of them. Is that the world we really want to live in? Notice what Paul says as he goes on in Galatians 5. So I say walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. You've got a choice. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And look at this last line. They're in conflict with each other. Every one of us knows that inside. And so, so that you are not. Here's Paul. You are not to go the negative freedom way. You're not to do whatever you want. That's not the way God created us. And he immediately follows that by saying, can I tell you what happens if you go that route? He says, here's the acts of the flesh. Here's what happens when a culture simply says, no rules, just my way. He says, you get sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. 
Have you ever seen America hate each other? Maybe, maybe in the past we did, but not at least in my lifetime. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage. I've never seen people just walking up someone in the subway and start beating them up and kill them. And yet we see that on the news all the time. Police being ambushed. Why? Because they wear blue. No other reason other than they wear blue, so let's go out and find someone to kill. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Paul says, y'all, it just goes on and on and on. Is that the world you want to live in? Because that's the world that will be created if you go down the no harm principle route. You see, the problem with the harm principle is how do you define harm? And we tend to do it incredibly superficial. And we tend to simply say, hey, I don't see anybody being harmed right now. I mean, Mia, I'm sorry. Yes, this is your stepdaughter, but I don't think I'm going to harm you. When in reality, it's like, are you kidding me? Now listen to me very carefully, brothers and sisters. When we look at God's law, we see God saying, you just don't know what you're doing down the road. Uh, I find myself oftentimes in a difficult position as a preacher preaching God's ideal while realizing that we live in a world that falls so short of it. Some of the dearest people in my life have struggled and gone through the heartaches of divorce. I tell people that there's no one that hates divorce more than someone who's gone through divorce. It can be devastating. And, and if we're not careful... The philosophy that we develop, you know, Paul, uh, excuse me, Jesus, when, when asked about divorce, says, you know what, if I could tell everybody, just go back to the way it was in the beginning. And then he adds the words, what God joins together, don't separate. And the reason Jesus said that is what we're now realizing fully well is that divorce, I mean, not only does it hurt the couple who are divorcing, but the effects on the children. When people ask me, should we try to save our marriage for the sake of the children? And my response is, yes. Now, are there exceptions? Of course there's exceptions. And you need to get the help of someone like a Brian Shepherd to walk you through that process. I get it. But several years ago, a book came out by Judith Wallerstein. She was actually down at Lipscomb, and I went to hear her speak and bought her book at that time called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. And, and in her book, she says this, and I'm going to be reading right, near, uh, right up there near the top, but it says the impact of the experience increases over time and rises to a crescendo in adulthood. In other words, what happens to a child who sees their parents' divorce, I mean, you think, well, they, they adjusted well. No, in reality, if you follow them throughout their life, by the time they get to 45, their life is struggling to maintain relationships because of what they experienced as a child. It's the legacy, unexpected legacy, of divorce. And by, by the way, this is just divorce. You could add to that list, you know, all the problems that we struggle with in life, that I struggle with. Unexpected legacy of loving money of wanting to be at the top all the time, of, of just wanting to be able to have any kind of sexual relationship you want to have. I mean, you just fill in the blank. And Paul's saying, I don't think that's what you want. Keller, in his book, Making Sense of God, 
and, and I, I really like uh, Timothy Keller. He says, we see then that freedom is not what the culture tells us. Real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms in the order to gain others. It is not the absence of constraints. It is not saying, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. That's not true freedom. But it is the choosing of the right constraints and the right freedoms to lose. Paul would come along and put it this way. Well, first, let me look at Peter, and then let's look at Paul. Peter says, live as free people. I want you to look at the irony up here. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Very Paul, thing Paul was saying in Galatians 5. And then look at the contrast. Live as God's slaves. Whoa, 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 Les. You can't live as free people and live as God's slaves at the, only, at the same time. Being God's slaves is the only way to live as free people. Because when you follow God and Jesus Christ, you do what Paul said. Instead of indulging the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. My greatest debt and your greatest debt, my greatest responsibility and your greatest responsibility is to love and serve one another as Jesus Christ loved and served us. That's the freedom God's calling us to. And if you're hearing that call, why don't you come right now as we stand and sing.